Let's do this. Let's talk about talk. Greetings and welcome to Talk About Talk episode number 95, focused on taking the stage, communication skills for leaders. I'm your communication coach, Dr. Andrea Wojnicki. Please call me Andrea. Are you an ambitious executive with a growth mindset looking to advance your career? Well, then you're in the right place. At Talk About Talk, we focus relentlessly on communication skills topics like personal branding, confidence, and networking. This is the critically important stuff that they don't teach you in school. And if you check out the talkabouttalk.com website, you'll find online corporate workshops, one-on-one coaching with me, the archive of this bi-weekly podcast, and the free weekly communication skills newsletter. I really hope you'll go to the website and sign up for that newsletter, but you can choose whatever works for you. Welcome to Talk About Talk episode number 95. This is the second of a two-part focus on taking the stage, communication skills for leaders, where I interview communication guru, Judith Humphrey, founder of the Humphrey Group. If you haven't listened to episode number 94 yet, I encourage you to go and listen to that one first. This episode, though, I have to say is really the good stuff. You're going to hear the second part of my conversation with Judith, and then you're going to hear my summary. I'm going to summarize for you new ways for you to think about things like self-promotion, imposter syndrome, apologizing, and communication differences between men and women. Yep, we are going to get into stereotypes. Are you ready? Okay, we left off in the last episode with Judith's summary of her leader's script. Do you remember what it was? Four dimensions. The grabber, proof point or main message, structure or supporting points, and last, the all-important call to action. And really, when you think about it, that, that call to action is the translating your leadership message into activity, mm-hmm. into something that has consequence. Mm-hmm. So I found it to be very powerful, and yep. people really love it. I encourage my clients when they're going into meetings to think about what the what the meeting objective is, and then also what their personal objective is. And it's not that they're necessarily at odds, but it's about being mindful about here's, here's kind of the objective that we all share. And then personally, this is the part that's really important to me. So I think actually having that mindset in the back of your mind and then applying this framework also might, might be very effective. And you could, you could at the very end, when you do a call to action, you could relate it to the meeting objective, for example, but then also make sure that your personal objective is, is um, accommodated. So, It's also going to be um, prominent in my next book, which is The Job Seeker Script. Ah. So it's when you think about the job-seeking process, it's a series of events. But another way of looking at it is a series of scripts. You need a script for your elevator pitch. If you should pass by somebody, yep. you need a script for your networking conversations, for your resume, Mm -hmm. for your cover letter, for your interview scripts, for for your answers to questions in the interview, Mm -hmm. and even for your post-interview discussion about salary. So the book will cover all those scripts. So are they scripts or are they frameworks? Like, are you actually memorizing what you're saying or? That's a good question. I believe that the more you can write down what you're going to say, the better. Okay. So they're frameworks in the sense that 
the words come from the job seeker. I don't provide the words. Yeah. I provide the framework. The, the leader's script provides the framework. And it provides the template. But it forces people to structure what they're saying so that they make a point that they really tell their story in a way that's a powerful narrative. Mm -hmm. um, and do so at every turn in the job process. Yep. And you know, communication is so important today, yeah. more than ever. Yeah. Well, I don't have to tell you yeah. that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I mean, when you think about it, the digital world, right. and we have so little interpersonal contact, we have to be that much clearer in what we say, True. more persuasive in what we say. And so this leader script will apply to every situation that anybody is in in a business setting. So your next book is going to be focused on job seeking, and that um, relates to a question that I wanted to ask you about self-promotion mm. <laughs> and kind of what is it and if you have any do's and don'ts. And I can imagine, you know, when, when we're applying for a job and we get that coveted interview opportunity, we need to promote ourselves, right? Right. So can you talk a little bit about that? Self-promotion has um, two, two definitions. One is what I consider to be the way I think about it, and then self-promotion can have a, a sense of undertow to a lot of people. They don't, they, they find it ugly, That's a offensive. good word. That's a good word. I yeah. like that. They find it ugly. Yeah. But it's not. I mean, true self-promotion, when you think about it, is when you actually speak about yourself in such a way that other people want more of you. Mm. They love what you're saying about yourself. So, so the ugly self-promotion turns people off. So it's not truly self-promotion, is it? That's right. That's <laughs> Just right. The opposite. It's ineffective. Yeah. But true self-promotion is the process of delivering messages about yourself that move people, mm -hmm. that inspire, in the case of job search, that inspire those who hire. Right. Inspire those who hire. Right. It's another title for a book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but they... So what is that? What is that secret recipe that we call true and effective self-promotion? Again, I believe it goes back to having the right message about yourself. Yeah, it's personal branding. Yeah. And then being able to develop that message in such a way it's credible. Mm -hmm. So you might say you're in a job interview. You might say your message would be about all the things you've done already. You know, I'm a seasoned IT expert. Now, that would not be good self-promotion because people are looking to what you can do in their company. So your message in, a, in an interview, if you want to be truly self-promotional, should be what you can do for them. Yes. I have it's every more confidence. It's an empathetic message, exactly. right? Exactly. Yeah. And so, obviously, each situation is different. And you have to define your message, your self-promotion message, in a way that will move your audience. It's empathetic in that sense. You're always thinking, what is it that's going to really move the room or move this person yeah. or have them believe in me? Yeah. Bad self-promotion is messaging that's self-aggrandizing. It has nothing to do with your audience, whereas true self-promotion, messaging that reaches your audience and inspires them. Yeah, I, I was thinking as you're saying that, it's about articulating the impact that you will make for them or on them, right? Mm -hmm, exactly. As opposed to, here's what I can do. Exactly. Yeah. And if you're in a meeting 
and you want to be self-promotional, it doesn't mean you're going to talk about yourself necessarily. It means you're going to bring forward an idea that inspires people to believe in you. Mm -hmm. That's what self-promotion is. So it might not even be about you. It might be an idea that you talk about that will give purpose to the team. Right. It could be a story of something that you did or even that you observed and interpreted and learned from, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So you can take the eye out of self-promotion. Interesting. Okay. <laughs> so I'd like to focus, I guess, a little bit more on some tactical communication challenges that many of us face. And the first one that I'd love to hear your perspective on is interrupting. And I don't know, probably like me, you notice, especially when virtual meetings became the norm, all of a sudden interrupting was actually impossible because when someone's speaking on Zoom, only one voice can be yeah. heard. And it's tough to see people raising their hands or whatever they're doing. So certainly interrupting is rude, but sometimes we do need to interject. And mm -hmm. so I was just wondering if you could give us a few pointers on how we can interrupt or interject in a way that is not offensive. Well, to begin with, I think you have to wait for someone to stop speaking. So interrupting is not a good thing. <laughs> and there's always a pause. There's always the moment, the moment that that person finishes. That's the perfect time to express your views. So another aspect of speaking well in a meeting is listening, finding the moment of silence and interjecting your own viewpoint. That is a very good point. When people think about communication, they think about speaking. They don't think about listening. Mm -hmm. It's, this happens to all of us. We're in a meeting and someone maybe kind of is taking way too much of the airtime and maybe they're starting to repeat themselves and it's like they're not coming up for air. Instead of thinking about interjecting, focus on listening to what they're saying, mm -hmm. right? Yes, and then yes. you'll come up with the true added value and you also will be able to hear when they pause. <laughs> yes, exactly. That's right. If you're so busy formulating your ideas and not listening, you won't even hear the pause. Yeah. And then you might end up interrupting That them. is a new answer to that question for me, Judith. It is. Oh. I, thank oh, you. Oh, that's good. Yeah, yeah. So my next question for you is a little bit different. So as, mm. as Canadians and as women, I'm <laughs> sure you've heard the stereotypes, we are often way too apologetic. <laughs> so, and I know that you've done training um, of, of men and of, and of women and mixed groups and in, in Canada, in the U.S., and actually all over the world. So do you have any tips on us overcoming this apology syndrome that we have, mm. that some of us have? Andrea, I could talk for hours about that. I bet. <laughs> it's just giving voice to the inner crow. Uh. Apologizing is essentially saying, I don't belong on stage. <laughs> I, I don't really have a right to speak, but I'm going to anyway. Excuse me. <laughs> wow. And there's absolutely no reason for it. And of course, it diminishes the impact that you're going to have because uh, apologizing, saying, I'm sorry, but I'd like to add something. These are all diminishing expressions. Yep. It's got to go. The whole expression, I'm sorry, yeah. should go. Yeah. Because try to think of a time when you really need to say, I'm sorry. Yeah. You don't need to. It's, it's, I can't even think of a time when... Yeah. Can you think of a time, Andrew, when you might say, I'm sorry? So uh, your, your example of being late, I was just thinking in my head, 
I have this saying that I came up with, which is jargon is like profanity. We need to be aware of it and we need to save it for when we need it. And I'm thinking I might add apologies to that list. Yeah. We need yeah. to be conscious of apologies in our language and in our communication and save it for when we really need it. So yes. if I was on a subway and it got stopped and there was a room full of people waiting for me and I walked in, I think starting with an apology and saying, mm-hmm. I apologize that I'm 15 minutes late, let's get on with this and making a strong statement about like your everybody's time is important and that you want to be productive and then getting into it. I think that's an example of when maybe an apology is, is fine. But I, I hear, for example, particularly women and particularly Canadians in a meeting will say, I'm sorry, can I say something? Oh, it's, yes. Hey, come on. Yes. <laughs> well, if you can't, then why are you here? <laughs> right? I agree with you on that one instance of, apologizing. Yeah. If you've held people up, yeah. uh, you have a responsibility to say something like that. Yeah. I agree. That's true respect for your audience. But the other thing shows disrespect for yourself. Right. Very, very well put. You will be quoted on that, Judith, I promise you. <laughs> um, so related to this questioning about, about men versus women communicating, In your book, um, Taking the Stage, you highlight how some successful women talk about how hard they work uh, and perhaps too much. And you talk about Hillary Clinton and Sarah Jessica Parker and Marissa Mayer. And it reminded me of some academic research that I actually, I was in a leadership conference hosted by Harvard Business School for leadership skills for women. And one of the faculty members there was talking about some research that she'd conducted recently. And they interviewed successful women. And one of the common themes that came out of these successful women was how they all shared this narrative of how hard they worked. Mm. And I was wondering if you have any comments about this like do you think it's helping us to talk about how hard we work or is it related to imposter syndrome and that crow like are we it probably is it's probably related to the fact that we want to prove ourselves Mm -hmm. and so we constantly refer to the amount of work we've produced but work doesn't win us any points in fact it wins us more work so bosses will pile work on the women because we are able to finish it and do it and not complain about it. And whereas men delegate much more, and that's a vast generalization. It doesn't apply to every man or every woman. Of course, yeah. But it's really true, I saw that in my business life, that the women would be happy to take on work because it kept them busy and it showed to the world that they were valued. Mm -hmm. But the men felt their value came from delegating Interesting. Interesting. The fact that we brand ourselves as workers is not going to ever get us into any large career position because the higher up you go, the less actual work you do and the more conversation you have, the more communication you do, the more meetings Mm -hmm. you have, Mm -hmm. but you don't do the work. So that, that reminds me of another question that, that I, I would love to get your perspective on and see if you agree. So I've had this conversation with a couple of my clients about how earlier in your career, learning the technical expertise, the processes, depending on the industry that you're working in, of course, yeah. 
those are the skills that are probably at the top of the hierarchy or prioritized in terms of what you need to learn. As you mature, your tenure increases and you become more senior in any organization, your communication skills themselves may become more important. Do you mm -hmm. agree? Yes. You do? Oh, I think the higher up you go in an organization, the more you need to communicate because you have teams and groups of people that report to you directly. You have colleagues across the organization you have to relate to. You have bosses. And if you're a VP, for example, and you're reporting to a C-level executive, you better know how to communicate with that person. Mm -hmm. And it's an art. You know, when you're, when you're a junior person in an organization, communicating means you let people know what you're going to do, you do it, and you show that you did it. Yeah, that's true. So it's, a, it's about performance of tasks. Yeah. But as you get higher up, communicating is about listening, asking questions. Yeah. So it's really checking in with people. It's letting people speak, listening to them, mm -hmm. responding to them. Somebody asked me recently, and this is a person who's in his early 30s. He's got a big job already. But he said, you've worked with a lot of senior executives over your career. Uh, what advice would you give me about changing my communication style as I go up the ladder? It's a great question. Yeah, it was really a great question. Shows you he'll go places. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sometimes the question really reveals everything, right? Exactly. Yeah. So I thought about it and I said, the thing that will change if you're effective is you'll want to speak less and listen more mm. as you go up the ladder. And so that's what I would advise to anyone listening to this podcast, because your success is going to depend upon them, right? And so that's a whole communication strategy for upper level leaders. Um, absolutely. So in, in, uh, couple of the podcasts that I've done focused on listening skills, I encourage people to track the ratio to literally or consciously think about how much am I talking versus other people. And, th and then I say true leaders will do that not only of themselves versus everybody else in the room, but they'll also track the ratio of other people at the table and encourage people who haven't spoken up to speak up. Yes. Right. It's true that, uh, for example, in job interviews, if you talk less than the interviewer, you're more likely to get the job. I talk about that a lot, Judith. <laughs> that's true. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Are we talking too much? <laughs> <laughs> you and I have the same thought bubble over our head too. That's funny. That's funny. Okay. So I want to go back to, I guess, the differences between um, men versus women when they're mm -hmm. communicating. And I'm curious... In your experience, what do you think the most common mistake is that women may make and then also that men may make when they're communicating? Well, women diminish themselves in so many ways. Hmm. And, of course, vast generalization. Yeah. But this is the reason we in the Humphrey Group launched the program called Taking the Stage that, that had global reach. It's just incredible number of women, over half a million women took this program. There's something about the way women communicate that's different from the way men communicate. And when I first realized this, I was sitting with a client in a coaching session, and what she was doing was wrapping herself into a small ball. Oh. So her arms were closed, her legs were crossed, 
her head was down, her, she, her shoulders were a little bit hunched, and she was speaking in a meek voice. And I said, this is not something I saw among the men yeah. <laughs> that I coached. So making ourselves small is the way I would put it. Mm -hmm. Making ourselves small in terms of body language, in terms of our voice. Our voice, we raise the voice uh, or speak so we're asking a question Yeah. at the end of the sentence. Yeah. Um, so we diminish our voices instead of grounding our voices. Mm -hmm. We make furtive eye contact. We smile too much. Mm. We speak with caveats. You know, I could be wrong, sorry. Uh, only It's only a thought. So we diminish ourselves, make ourselves small in so many ways. And so I would say, in terms of body language, voice, uh, language, expression, women need to be bigger, have a bigger on-stage presence. So would you say that, the, that men maybe need to dial it back the other way? As you were describing this woman physically sitting across the table from you, I was th thinking it's the opposite of the man spread, right? Like the guy that yes. separates his legs and leans in and he's taking up as much space yes. as he physically can. And that, that's really an interesting topic in itself. Yeah. Because not all men do that. Yeah. And of course, not all women make themselves small. So these are generalizations. Yeah. But, but if you were to find a parallel or look for a parallel between what women do and what men do, or an antithetical look at them, um, the men, traditionally, and I think that's changing, I think it really is changing that men are different than they were 10 years ago, hmm. 15 years ago as leaders. Um, but traditionally... In a good way? In a good way? Yes. Yeah, I think so Oh, in too. a very good way. Yeah. I would never assume that men have one style and women have another style because things have changed. There are stronger women and more understanding men, collaborative men. I, I've been really impressed with the transformation on both fronts. So the men I know, the men I've worked with, are really doing their greatest to be more inclusive, more collaborative. But what I like about the way men speak is that they show a level of confidence that I think women need to show. Uh, men show strength in their thinking. They're not afraid to bring their thinking forward. They're confident enough not to use a lot of filler words or caveats. And they assume that people are going to listen to them mm. and that people are going to act on what they say. So I like that style a lot. And I know in the past there's been an exaggeration of men speaking out, maybe too boldly, too loud, too big, but I don't see that as much, and I see men being almost... So it sounds as if what you're describing is what we covered a few minutes ago in terms of it's the ideal self-promotion, yeah. but I really love your point about their default mindset is that people are going to listen to them. Yes, exactly. That's a very powerful mindset to have. It is it? a very powerful mindset. Men assume that they're going to be heard and that their leadership messages are going to be understood mm -hmm. and perhaps even followed. Yeah. 
Before, so before Judith, we get to the five <laughs> rapid fire questions, I just want to finish off with one question mm-hmm. that I'm really curious to hear your perspective on. When I first started Talk About Talk, I was very emphatic that the number one communication superpower is listening. And since then, over the last several years, I've modified that to be that there may be three communication superpowers, listening, confidence, and storytelling. I'm wondering what you think about that. Well, I think that they're all truly important. Listening is the beginning of everything else. So you can't speak well unless you listen well. And I think that should come first, as you stated it. Storytelling is the means of getting your ideas across. It's, it's increasingly important. And in fact, I'm listening to a master class on storytelling. Mm. Really good. Confidence comes from another place. So we can listen because we know it's good to listen. We can tell stories if we learn how to structure our scripts. But confidence comes from a deeper place. And I would say it's the reason we speak up at all. I mean, it, it's, it's on a different plane from listening and storytelling. Interesting. It's, it's not a technique. It's a state of being. Mm. And it's so important. We've talked about it today in this interview. Confidence is something you have to delve deeply into your soul to get. And some people are born with it and born with greater amounts of it. Mm -hmm. Other people have to go through their life building their confidence in the ways we've talked about. So you see what I mean about confidence being on a different plane? Yeah, that's a very interesting point. I I agree. And again, you're going to be quoted on that. That is... uh, you're making me think about things, and while you and I share so much in terms of our passion and our expertise and our innate focus on this topic of communication, I really enjoy talking to you about this stuff, I have to say. And now we're going to move to the five rapid-fire oh, questions. Are you ready? Well, I'm, I've so much enjoyed this session. I hope the rapid-fire doesn't test me. <laughs> doesn't kill it. Well, it, it will test you, but just say the first thing that comes oh, to okay. mind. Oh. Okay, question number one. What are your pet peeves? I don't really have any. Really? <laughs> Nothing that unnerves me. Except listening to people diminish themselves. That mm. would be the only thing from the communications point of view, when people undercut themselves. So even your pet peeve is focused on communication. I love it. Yeah, I don't really have anything else. <laughs> okay, second question. What type of learner are you? That I've never discovered. I've probably learned from all those. I think you, I- You tell me, you know more about this than I do. Well, to be honest, most of us are all of them, but some people, so I do find that I am all of them. I mean, I'm a podcaster, obviously I'm an auditory learner. I listen to a lot of podcasts, but I'm really, if I had to choose one, probably a little bit off the charts in terms of visual, I'm often grabbing a sheet of paper and I'm drawing, I'm, I'm illustrating a concept. Yeah. Yeah. Question number three, (laughs) are you an introvert or an extrovert? I'm both. I mean, I'm right in the middle of the two. I have been tested for this. As an extrovert, I really enjoy talking to people and getting ideas from people. But as an introvert, I enjoy a quiet mind. So I noticed my husband loves to listen to podcasts and he's always reading the newspaper and always absorbing information. I actually don't like to do that to my mind. I like to keep it open. So if I'm walking, I don't want to hear anything. If I'm walking, I want to think. 
Okay, next question. Communication or media preference for personal conversations? I would say phone is the best for me. Phone? Because at least it's a real voice. Yeah. You know, uh, I, I use instant messaging more than I ever did, but it's, it's uh, immediate. That's one of the great things about it. But it's not human. It's not personal. That's it's right. not personal. There's no tone. There's no expression. No, I know. <laughs> Just emojis. That's <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay, the last rapid fire question is, is there a podcast or a blog or an email newsletter that you find yourself recommending to people the most lately? Well, of course I'll recommend this one. Yeah. Our podcast. <laughs> yeah. Particularly this episode. Of yeah. course. No, yeah. all the episodes. I know. I want to hear all the episodes. But I've been listening to the Masterclass series. I'm a member of the Masterclass. And right now there's a two-for-one special. It's amazing. Yeah. You get to see these fabulous people. Ringo Starr, for example, teaching drumming. Yeah. Uh, and I'm listening to one, uh, an author who teaches at Bard College, talk about storytelling, the art of storytelling. Right. These are so fascinating. Mm -hmm. Not only because these people have such a storehouse of wisdom to deliver, but they speak so well, and mm. their body language and their just their whole speaking style mm -hmm. is wonderful. I think you learn from it. So you're you're learning from the content that they're delivering, but you're also observing their communication. So it's kind of like a meta learning exactly. experience for you. Wow, that's a great recommendation. Is there anything else you want to add, Judith, about communication skills for leaders? Well, I think you're doing a great job with these questions and uh, <laughs> with the podcasts, and you're hitting all the, all the right notes in terms of you know, what we've talked about today. There's nothing more. I mean, we could spend another few hours if you want to. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I agree. We'll do that after, after I press stop here. It's been so enjoyable, Andrea. Yeah. Thank you so much Thank for you. bringing me on. Thank you for your time and for chance. sharing your expertise. It's fantastic. Thank you so much. Of course. Phew. That is a lot to digest. Thank you so much to Judith Humphrey. Now I have the great challenge of summarizing our conversation for you. I came up with six main themes. They are one, imposter syndrome, the crow on your shoulder. Two, the leader's script. Three, self-promotion. Four, apologizing. Five, communication differences between men and women. And six, demonstrating leadership. Okay, let's get into this. The first theme I wanna summarize is imposter syndrome. Judith uses the crow metaphor of a crow cackling away, telling us we're not good enough, like we don't deserve to speak up or to be listened to. She talks about how to counteract that crow. Three things. First, recognize that crow is not you. That voice inside saying, sit down or don't speak up, it's not really us. And it certainly does not reflect your capabilities. The second way to counteract the crow is to talk back to the crow. Talk back to that imposter's voice. See it for what it is. It's not you and it's not real. The third way to counteract the crow is simply preparation. Prepare to communicate effectively. Take time to write your message down. Learn it, rehearse it, know it, prepare. When Judith was talking about this crow, it reminded me of a book that I recently read. Ethan Cross's book called Chatter. He talks about the power of creating social distance or psychological distance in our self-talk. In other words, talking to ourselves as another. 
And I was thinking there may be an opportunity to combine the crow and this idea of social distancing or psychological distancing. So for example, you could say to yourself, Andrea, are you really going to listen to that crow? Come on, you know you're prepared. You got this. Okay, the second point is the leader's script. One way you can prepare is by learning and following Judith's leader's script. This is a simple template to keep in mind when you have to deliver important communication. There are four dimensions of the leader's script. The first dimension is the grabber. Depending on the context, this could be something provocative, but the intention here is to grab the audience's attention. The second point is where you summarize your main message, the proof point. This is where you are very explicit about what you want to say. What is your point? You could say, my message is, or my viewpoint is, or here's how I feel, or perhaps here's what I believe, or even here's what I need. Be emphatic. The third dimension is structure. Here's where you elaborate. Your message can be developed in various ways, including reasons why, ways, chronologically, or situation response. And the last point or dimension is the call to action. This is important, but unfortunately often forgotten. What is the action that you want the other person to take? Is it a decision? Is it a new activity? If you're in a job interview, it could be simply articulating your enthusiasm of being hired by a company. Last thing about the leader's script. The leader's script is both scalable and it can also be compressed for short impromptu conversations. These four components or dimensions grab your attention. They make a point, they prove their point, and they demand action. So that's the second theme, the leader's script. The third theme is self-promotion. And I have to admit, I love this stuff. My doctoral dissertation was about self-enhancement. Judith and I had a fascinating conversation with regards to self-promotion. Now, whenever I hear the term self-promotion, I'm going to be thinking about confidence, self-aggrandizing, and I'm also going to be thinking about inspiring others. Judith encourages us to be careful about how we think about the term self-promotion. There are really two distinct ways of thinking about it. There's the, what she calls, ugly way of thinking about self-promotion, which is basically bragging, promoting yourself. But this isn't really true self-promotion because people who brag are not doing themselves any favors, are they? True self-promotion is when you speak about yourself in such a way that other people want more. It's inspiring. In the case of a job search, when we're promoting ourselves, we need to remember to inspire those who hire. I love that, don't you? Inspire those who hire. It's not about all the things you've already done. It's about what you can do for them. It's about being empathetic and articulating the impact that you will make. Okay, the fourth theme, apologizing. Judith has a lot to say about apologizing. Some of us apologize way too much. For example, as she points out, many women do this. And as I point out, many Canadians do this. Unnecessary apologies are like giving a voice to that nasty inner crow. It's essentially saying, I don't belong on stage. I don't have a right to speak. Excuse me? No. Judith has an eloquent way of articulating this. She highlights that sincere, genuine apologies show respect for your audience, 
unnecessary apologies show disrespect for yourself. This reminded me of something. Over the years, I've realized that jargon is kind of like profanity. We need to be aware of it, and we need to save it for when we need it. Apologizing might actually be very similar to this. We need to be conscious of our apologies in our language and our communication and save apologies for when we truly mean it. Okay, moving on to the fifth theme, men versus women in a communication context. Okay, so Judith is very careful to highlight the fact that these are gross generalizations and they certainly do not apply to every man or to every woman. She also has a very optimistic or positive take on things that she's observed that have changed recently in terms of gender dynamics and communication. The generalization then, the stereotype perhaps, is that women make themselves small, physically, with their body language. With their voice, they may have a higher pitch and lower volume, right? With our expressions, we may smile too much. With our words, we may use caveats and apologies unnecessarily. I could be wrong. Sorry, it's only a thought. We use diminishing language. We may also talk more about our hard work as if we need to demonstrate our productivity and be very explicit about it. Meanwhile, men are leading and delegating. Perhaps more importantly, men may assume that people are going to listen to them and that people are going to act on what they say. Their default mindset is that people are going to listen. That is a very powerful mindset, something for us all to aspire to. Which leads me to the sixth theme, demonstrating leadership. If you've been listening to the Talk About Talk podcast for a while, you may know that this is a topic that I've spent a lot of time thinking and writing and talking about recently. Judith gives us some interesting things to think about here. Starting with what to think about when your boss tells you that you need to demonstrate leadership potential. Ask yourself, is this a genuine comment? Are they really interested in elevating me? Regardless, Judith listed numerous ways to demonstrate leadership potential. First and foremost, always deliver quality work. Deliver everything on time, on budget, and according to the terms of the project. Be reliable. Secondly, consider the numerous opportunities to shine and to show up. Examples include speaking at conferences, volunteering, not waiting for someone to come to you and say, would you like to do this? Speaking up in meetings, forcing yourself to speak up at least once in every single meeting. Maybe it's at the end of a meeting, like at the end of a Zoom call, when there's one last person on the screen, you could say, do you have a sec? There's something I want to share with you. And you could also shine when you're speaking to your boss about maybe about an opportunity that you think you're ready for. And the third and last way to demonstrate leadership potential, demonstrate strong communication skills. Yes, this is particularly important for leaders. And I have to say, that feels like the perfect place to stop. Again, I want to say thank you so much to Judith for sharing her expertise with us. As I'm sure you could tell, I value Judith's insights very much, and I'm so grateful for our friendship. 
I'm also really excited to read Judith's new book that's coming out about scripts for job seekers. If you're looking to learn more from Judith, in the meantime, I've included links to all of her books in the show notes. Please go to the podcast tab on the talkabouttalk.com website and you'll see the show notes right there. While you're there, I really hope you'll sign up for the Talk About Talk newsletter as well. This is your opportunity to get free communication skills coaching from me every week in a simple to digest email. Just go to talkabouttalk.com to sign up or email me directly and I'll add you to the list. You can email me anytime at andrea at talkabouttalk.com. Thanks for listening and talk soon. Talk soon.